I recently saw a LinkedIn post that was a screenshot of somebody's folder of Microsoft Excel files for their 2023 budget. Kid you not, there were 15 versions of the 2023 budget Excel file, eight of which had final in the name, four had final-final, and three had final-final-updated. When it's a screenshot like this, it really surfaces how insane it is. But what is more insane is that I suspect all teams doing any type of financial planning and analysis in Excel, they have folders of Excel files that look just like this. If this is true for you or your team, stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, Giraffe, later in the episode. Average partner compensation in a CPA firm, partner compensation, average is up to, get this, $583,824. I mean, not just over half a million, approaching $600,000 a year. That's the average compensation. Uh, and it's way up from last time. Like, like this has been going up. 12% increase year over year. Coming to you weekly from the OnPay Recording Studio, this is the Cloud Accounting Podcast. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. Uh, it is post-Thanksgiving, and I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Was it good, David? Yeah, I went down to Mexico, didn't do much. Um, I, I did a little tweet, you know, picture of me in my Cloud Accounting Podcast shirt, kind of loosely mocking the uh, pumpkin gate. But the reason I did it, I was down there, and you see a lot of guys with, like, construction companies. Like, like there's a company called Five Guys Roofing. I think they're out of Phoenix. And they have their whole pickup truck skinned, but then they're all-terrain vehicles, which I don't think you can use for work unless yeah. they drive them over a house to get on a roof. Yeah. Those are all skinned. So you know they have this that TikTok <laughs> advice, and it's all rolled up, right? Well, I mean, part of the thing about that whole TikTok tax advice thing is like, I just I just know from years of doing the books of a variety of business owners and small businesses that all this shit is getting run through the company all the time, all the time. Yeah, right. Like it happens. It already happens. It's not like it's not happening. So the fact that it gets all this attention is funny to me. I guess I guess it's because people are out there on TikTok saying, "Yeah, you can do this," and it's always been sort of a uh, unspoken rule that you could get away with it. But you know when. Again, when audits are uh, when audit rates are like you know what point two five percent, who cares, right? <laughs> who cares? I mean, I I, I I got a percentage number you might want to hear. Okay. So one is going to be four percent, and the other one's going to be twenty two percent. So do you want the four percent or the twenty two percent? Yes, let's do four percent. Okay. So apparently, based on the uh, Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, they do a survey. And in 2009, when they last did this survey, they asked five questions to determine an American citizen's financial literacy. And in 2009, the average person that took this test, if you want to call it that, got three of the five questions correct. Currently, they only get 2.4 of the questions correct. So... So basically so, what this means is only 4% of Americans demonstrate basic financial literacy. But wow. Wait, so 22% of the adult population own a share of Bitcoin. 
Only 22% of adults own Bitcoin? I guess that is... 46 million Americans. Wow. Yeah, that is a lot. Yeah, when you think about it. And 24% of Americans say they don't understand how cryptocurrency works. Do you think there's a lot of overlap there? (laughs) Well, it's it's just kind of ironic that the financial literacy is so low in this country. And then as last week's title, this big, huge Ponzi scheme, it makes sense. What, so what's the 4% number? Uh, financial literacy. Financial literacy. So 4% of Americans are financially literate? Yes. Or can demonstrate basic financial literacy. So By, like the quiz is, it's a quiz that's kind of like, if you had $100 and you got 2% interest, how much do you have two years? Yeah. Now, right? That type but of it, stuff. You said it's only five questions. It's only five questions, yeah. And so only 4% of Americans can get all five questions right. Correct. This, this survey from FINRA. Oh, that's depressing. Well, it's not surprising It explains then. why so many have Bitcoin. This right. All, this the, makes so the, much sense then. 24%. And, and uh, 75% of those Bitcoin holders, those retail investors, have lost money on Bitcoin to date, according to an estimate from uh, BIS, uh, which I think is some like, I f- actually forget who that is. Anyways, it was a paper I read. And, I'm uh, in that, yeah. that category. Yeah, yeah, 75%. Well, uh, good. I mean, yeah, but you invested $10, David, so I guess you count. Oh, man. Well, uh, I guess, you know, we were talking last week a lot about current events and and hoping that we would get to catch up. And I think we actually get to catch up today, David, on, uh, on the news. I'm relaxed. It's weird. We're doing this at, I don't know, 6 o'clock, Arizona time in the evening on a Sunday. Normally we do this in the mornings on a Friday and I'm all caffeinated. And now I'm drinking a, a beer and I'm relaxed. So I don't know where to go. Like, I don't know what to talk about. I mean, you started, you kick things off with that stat. Uh, I wonder if I've got something that I can share that would be equally interesting. Um, hmm. How about, how about everybody's favorite tax software? How about a survey about that? Or... Better yet, I had something in here about partner compensation. How much Let's money? Let's get on tax because I have a tax story too. Okay. So this is tax software. So uh, this is a survey from CPA Trendlines. What is everybody's favorite tax software and uh, broken up by size of the practice? So, so this would be professional tax software then, not consumers? Yeah. No, no, not okay. consumer tax software. So for firms, right? So uh, no surprise, Drake Tax is the number one software for solo practitioners coming in at about 24%. So let's say a quarter of solos are using Drake Tax. Uh, in the small firm category, one to 10 headcount, it is Ultratax CS by Thomson Reuters at 26%, followed closely by uh, Lacert, which is 22%. In the medium category of 11 to 50, Ultratax CS by Thomson Reuters comes in at 36%, and then is followed by CCH ProSystem FX tax at 28%. In the large category, it's Ultratax CX, CS, Ultratax CS at 36%, followed by CCH ProSystem and uh, at, at 29%. And then extra large, it's CCH ProSystem, 46%, dominant, huge. Uh, so overall, so, so why is this? Is it is it cost of the software? Is it 
those apps focus on like an enterprise sales model. They only sell to the bigger firms. Like, like why is why is in the fir- a solar? It's Drake, and why is it a different firm at CCH? Because it handles teams better, like you know, management. Like, why is this, Blake? I mean, I don't know. I'm not an expert in this. You never uh, really did I, tax, right? I, so I know, like Drake. Drake doesn't do everything, right? So it's good if you're serving a lot of 1040s, then you got everything you need, right? With Drake, okay, if you, or or small businesses. But if you need all the forums, all the bells and whistles, because you got complex stuff going on, you know, that's when you need, let's say, CCH. But honestly, I don't know why. I don't know. It's not. This is not my area of expertise. Is tax software? We should probably have somebody on who really knows all the tax software to talk about this. Uh, so overall, the ranking is among all firms: uh, Ultratax, Lacert, CCH, Drake, Pro Series, Professional, and then you go down into the less than ten percent categories. And uh, Lacert has really grown like crazy since uh, last survey. They have grown a lot, and CCH has actually shrunk a lot since last time. And when it says the search grown, is it is that really Intuit Pro Series? And people just lumping the name together, or is it just the cert itself? No idea. No idea. We don't know. <laughs> I, I also have a survey about partner compensation, but it's your turn. Yeah. So I have information on tax software itself. I don't know if you saw this or not. It was a big article um, in The Verge. Essentially, Facebook has been getting information about taxpayers, the actual data, like who your dependents are. Oh, yeah. If you've had student loans, yep. they've been getting this through the MetaPixel. So it's kind of rewind a little bit for well, this. This was the breaking news. How this works. This was what happened the week of Thanksgiving. Was this was the big news? Uh, it didn't this really was probably the biggest resonate. news. Yeah, it didn't really resonate that much. But yeah, it was like I, I saw the headline and I I knew what was happening actually, and then I didn't read the rest of the article. But the headline was that Intuit and TurboTax have been sending all this personal information about what deductions you got or, or your, your taxable income, stuff like that, over to Facebook. That, and, that's essentially the headline, but I really yeah. got in the article on The Verge a lot. And so TurboTax doesn't send anything. They don't use the pixel past the login screen. So what was the so once, deal then? Like, why was this a big deal? So, so it wasn't TurboTax, but H&R Block, Tax Act, Tax Slayer, mm-hmm. they, they've all been transmitted this information. So the way it works is I'm, I have a website or an app and I get this Facebook pixel. Yeah. And I use it to track users because I want to run ads later on. Like, oh, maybe they they tried out my tax offer and I want to run ads or run ads that are like that on Facebook. So I'd put this tracking into my app. And it it grabs information on the site. So if I, for example, um, the header of the page I'm on says like, you paid $258 in student loan interest. That header of the page title a lot of times will be the URL. And that gets harvested off. And not just Facebook, also Google Analytics gets some of yeah, this stuff yeah, as yeah. well. So the articles present, like from the headline perspective, it seems like H&R Block, Tax Act, Tax Slayer, Intuit, they're purposely sending data to TurboTax, I'm sorry, to Facebook. But I don't think that's the case. Yeah. What I think it is, I think it's sloppy programming, sloppy management, sloppy QA, and that somebody added this in and it just rippled. Yeah. And so it took this uh, investigation between The Verge and um, another news organization called The Markup. They're a nonprofit where they invest, uh, investigate how technology is changing society. 
it's kind of interesting because if I go back to the early days of, at Intuitive, Google Analytics and Adobe Analytics and Google Drive and cloud in general, a lot of people at Intuit were paranoid. Like I remember I tried to use uh, – what's the survey software? SurveyMonkey? Um, SurveyMonkey. Like, you can't use that or you want to use Google – Google Sheets or the Google survey software. Because mm-hmm. like all of a sudden now Intuit data is stored on somebody else's stuff, right? And so I remember the early days, Intuit and companies were very paranoid about this. And maybe that's what drives why Intuit was aware of this and maybe they didn't, this didn't continue on the other screens inside of TurboTax. Mm-hmm. But it's, I think it's, 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 it's unfortunate because real data got out there. Uh, whether or not scholarships yeah. amounts, refund amounts, filing status, your user's income, it all got out there. Yeah. But I don't think it was purposely handed over to Facebook, but I think it's a big hole that needs to be plugged for sure. Yeah, I, I think it was probably an accident because they wouldn't have done this on purpose. It makes no sense. But it's also funny because nobody really cares. Like the, the there was not a big outcry over this. Like nobody mind, nobody cares. People are already using TikTok. They're letting their kids use TikTok and it's a Chinese owned app. All your data about everything you do on that thing, all your messages are, are, you know, could be scraped like by the Chinese Communist Party. <laughs> like, nobody cares I, about it, your, your, your taxable income, your gross, adjusted gross income number like going to Facebook. People just aren't concerned about privacy anymore. It doesn't bother them. Well, if you have a smartphone, I think you're saying you're not concerned. Like we were talking about, I was, hey, I should get a paddleboard. I got paddleboard ads all day the next day. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, because so if you if you use Facebook Messenger, they are harvesting your messages. No, but no, no human is looking at them, but they're looking for keywords. And if you mention the word paddleboard, you're going to get ads. But these are out loud conversations, physical, inhuman, face-to-face par- conversations. You did something. There's something that you did yes. that makes them think that you're going to buy a paddleboard, or somebody else in the ma- room probably did it. Well, or or you have a Doppler. This is the this is the scary thing is that there's eight billion people on this planet, right? So you have, let's say you're one in a million, right? That means I, I love this. Ed Kless was saying this in the Solar Enterprise. He said, "Let's say you're a one in a million person. That means there's eight thousand people that are exactly like you on this planet, <laughs> right? Because there's eight billion people. So if you're one in a million, you're one in eight thousand, really. So so I had a teacher in school that just made fun of everybody who tried to celebrate their birthday. <laughs> like, right. There's nothing special about your birthday. Yeah. Millions of people were born on this day. If you're on a plane with, you know, 150 other people, chances are that there's somebody else with your birthday right now <laughs> having a birthday. Uh, but I don't know where I was going with that. I totally forgot what we were talking about. <laughs> Numbers about being special. About being special. Nobody's special. Yeah. Oh. In your so, data. Yeah. This is the thing about the algorithm is that uh, social media algorithms have enough data on people that they can predict what you're going to do before you even do it. That's the scary part because there's somebody that's like, you know, your doppelganger, David, in this country. There's another David Leary whose name is not David Leary, but acts just like you and has the same interests as you and, you know, follows the Buffalo Bills and, uh, I don't know, lives in Tucson or like there's, there's people that are similar enough to you where Facebook can like look at what they're doing and then anticipate that you're going to do it and then put you in that group. They're called lookalike audiences and it's how we advertise. You can, you can upload a list of a few thousand people, and then you can advertise to all the people that are just like them. And it's incredible. It's actually an amazing thing. Actually, accounting firms should do this. It would be a great way. If you, it's probably if, really accurate for accountants. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very but, stereotypical accounts. You know, it's funny. I, I saw another story. Uh, I think this was on, this was on uh, the Carbon 
newsletter. Carbon puts out a nice newsletter and I subscribe to it. And it was a survey or it was a little data point on what are the top marketing tactics of accounting firms. And the number one marketing tactic was word of mouth. 80 something percent of accounting firms say we rely on word of mouth as a marketing tactic. First, I have a question as to is market is word of mouth actually a marketing tactic? <laughs> I was just or is that just like something tactic. that happens? Yeah, is it a tactic? And the rest were all like in the 30%, like investing in our website, but ads don't even come up, right? Like this is not even something that most firms do, is uh like digital ads, anything like that, because they don't need to, right? Or they feel like they don't need to. Because again, with word of mouth, there was somebody else who said this. Uh I I, I forget who said it, but uh I was listening to another podcast and they said, you know, you have to basically be incompetent or like just really bad at your job as an accountant not to have like way too many clients these days. You know what I mean? Like if you don't have more clients than you can handle, there's something wrong with you. So maybe yeah, you that's almost, why. I mean, maybe, maybe you try to solve the other way, which is like you try to hide yourself online. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so you can't take harder. more clients on. Can't take more clients. Make it harder to find This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Zoho. I'm sure you've heard of Zoho before. We've probably even mentioned Zoho CRM or Zoho Books on this podcast in the past. But do you really know about Zoho? Did you know that Zoho offers an entire suite of solutions to run your firm, including a CRM, expense tracking, bookkeeping, a full office suite, a support ticket system, and workflow automation? Did you know that Zoho offers a suite of solutions for your clients' bookkeeping, including bookkeeping, inventory, invoicing, subscription management, and a checkout app? Did you know that Zoho has an accountants program? Did you know that Zoho advisors get free access to eight Zoho applications and a dedicated account manager? If you want to learn more about becoming a Zoho advisor, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Zoho. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash Z-O-H-O. Anyway, I guess that sort of ties into what I'm going to talk about now, which is partner compensation. Uh, this is another CPA Trendlines data point. So uh, we've talked about this before. I think I say this pretty frequently. I, I throw out this number. I say, you know, accounting firm partners, they're making half a million dollars a year or more, right? Well, you throw that. Yeah, that's your stereotypical That's my stereotypical thing, right? Well, that's true. Uh, so the average partner compensation in a CPA firm, partner compensation average is up to, get this, $583,824. I mean, not just over half a million, approaching $600,000 a year. That's the average compensation. Uh, and it's way up from last time. Like, like this has been going up, 12% increase year over year. So that's just one thing to pause and think about. You know, if our if our profession has an image problem, talking about how much money you can make as an accounting firm partner, like a CPA firm partner, might be one way to help people stay in the profession. But <laughs> it might be from a recruiting standpoint, right? right. But yeah. nobody ever talked to me about that when I was in the CPA firm, you know, pipeline. Nobody mentioned it to me when I was getting recruited to be a manager. And I feel like most partners don't talk about compensation like that, like how much money they make. And I wonder if it's because it's so much more than what the staff make most of the time, right? Like it's so much more. It's embarrassing. But it might be a good thing to talk about. It's a lot. So, so that's the average. 
583,000 or round up to 584,000 really. Now so there might be some partners only making 200,000, which means there's some other partners making 800 to a million. So there's a if there's it's an a, average. So depending on how big the f- firm is, right? The bigger the firm, the more you yeah. make. So if you are in the 2 million to 5 million dollar bracket, so your firm is bringing in 2 million to 5 million dollars a year in revenue, the partners are only making 470,000. If you make as a firm, five million to ten million dollars in revenue. The partners are making five hundred twenty-eight thousand. If you're in the ten million to twenty million range, it's six hundred twelve thousand. And if you're at a firm with annual fees of over twenty million, then it's a respectable seven hundred seventy thousand dollars a year on average. It's respectable. So, so you're going up from at the bottom of the rankings, three hundred forty-three thousand, up to basically like double. Right, almost double seven hundred seventy thousand. But even the, the smaller firms, that's you know pretty good, and it's way up. You know these are all up thirty seven percent, up five percent, up say eighteen percent, up. You know it's it's up a lot. So then I think about this, and I think this about this in the context of the staffing crisis we have. I'm like, all the complaints about entry level staff is that they're paid very poorly, right? It's like you know, $60,000, $70,000 a year in a high cost of living area. And I'm thinking, this doesn't make any sense, right? Partner compensation is way up. They're making more money than ever. But the staff are making less money than ever based on uh, cost of living adjustments and inflation and all that, right? Like it's plateaued or even declined in some in some ways. So it's kind of nuts. I well, mean, they should set up a model that like gives the employees loans based on their future earnings as a partner so then they're just trapped forever <laughs> like you, you give them the money up front yeah but and, and they, and they pay it back when they're a partner i mean so I, or if know, they ever quit they have to pay it all back so why is this happening why is partner compensation increasing i i think part of the reason is actually because partners are older than they ever have been so they're more experienced right and the longer you've been in the profession the more you know the more valuable you are right the more experience you have and 75% of partners are at retirement age so 75% of partners CPA firm partners are going to retire in the next 15 years according to the AICPA so that means you've got to be what like in your 50s so 3 out of 4 partners are 50 or older like just i don't know if that's totally accurate but roughly right 3 out of 4 so if you're in a, I don't know, let's say an eight-person firm, that means six out of the eight partners are 50 or older. So you probably got one Gen Xer and one millennial in that mix. And then all this private equity stuff that's going on makes a lot of sense because there just aren't enough CPAs in the firm to buy out the partners that are retiring. You've only got like two younger partners, two partners under the age of 50 or so, and the rest are all trying to get out. So what are they going to do? I mean, doesn't it mean there's even more opportunity for you if you are younger now? Well, if you, if you, yeah, but I mean, how do you take that, how do you buy into that firm? How do you buy out those partners? How do you, how do you buy it out if you're, you don't have the money, right? So low to begin with. Yeah. Yeah, And and then that's a lot of, you get, it's a lot of equity. So what do you do? And so the firm ends up merging into a bigger firm more often than not now these days, right? So the, the small firms are merging up into midsize firms. They're not getting bought out by new partners, so you're ending up with these, you know, larger and larger mid-sized type firms. I think, and and fewer and fewer family firms, fewer and fewer small accounting firms, which would be in that, you know, under ten people or mid, you know, even under fifty 
What's really interesting about this is that the survey breaks down elite firms from just average firms. And elite firms, according to this survey, have individual partner income or income per partner of over 700000 right? So that's the highest tier on average. And 22% of the firms are in that rank. 22% of the participating firms are seeing average partner income of more than $700,000 a year. And of those 22%, that, that elite group, their average partner income is, is $1 million and change. Okay, so 22% of the firms, it's a million dollars a partner. That's twice the mainstream average, right? And here's the interesting thing about this is the survey says, and the, the article about the survey says that they actually don't bill any more hours than the average firm. They're just making more money. The partners aren't working more hours and the staff aren't working more hours. They're billing the same hours. They're just making basically twice as much money. Because of the revenue total coming in. Yeah, the revenue, just twice as much revenue. So then it's your best interest as a partner is to merge in more firms. Because that's the, the way you're going to directly increase your compensation as a partner. Well, you know what they do? To take, your, to take yourself from a $10 million firm to a $15 million firm. So the way they do it, and that, that is the answer because you know why? You need the staff. So the difference between an elite firm and an average firm is the staff to partner ratio. The staff to partner ratio at elite firms is 11.3 versus just 6.8 among the sub-elite. So 11 staff for each partner versus seven staff for each partner. So this is why the partners make more money at those kind of firms, because they have more staff working for them. They can do service more clients. They can do more returns. They can do more per partner. Which is really the- It's leverage. The pyramid. Yeah. It's the pyramid. Yeah. But, But it's not about- working more hours. It's about having staff who can do more work. So you don't have to. But I also find this interesting in the sense that, uh, you know, we hear about partners are working more hours than ever too. And, and this is part of the problem in our profession is that staff see partners working and they don't have work-life balance. They work these crazy hours during busy season. And they say, I don't want that for myself. And if you look at the numbers, given the income, I mean... I don't know about you, David, but I don't need half a million dollars to live comfortably. I do it right now on much less, right? And I can so tell you right now, your significant other could be very happy with that. Even if you're if even if you're at work a lot, they'd be very happy with that number. <laughs> I don't think I don't think my marriage would survive me not being home. You know, like I mean, that's the problem too, right? That's the joke about for partners is they're divorced three, four times, right? Why? Because yeah. you never see your family, right? So. There's a really easy solution. Just don't don't work as much. You don't you know, the, like you don't need this much money to be happy. I think that's part of the problem with staff and managers is I don't know, just me personally, if you offered me half a million dollars a year and said, "Blake, you're going to have to work 60 to 80 hours for a few months uh, you know, maybe 6 months a year." I wouldn't do it. I would not take that deal. I think there's a lot of people that wouldn't take that deal. $800,000 a year, Blake? No. A million? It's not worth it to me. A million bucks? Even no. It, even it's million. not worth it to me. It's, it's, not, it is, it's tempting, but it is not worth it because of the 
damage does to your health and the stress and the family problems. Because you which, chose the poverty of a podcaster instead, which is... <laughs> well, no, thanks to you, David. We're actually doing pretty good. We got sponsors on this episode, right? We're, we're doing okay. We're doing Who, okay. Who's sponsoring we're, us we're this not, episode? No, you're near partner level stuff. No. Not even close. <laughs> like, but we actually, I think on an hourly basis, we probably bill more than they do for this podcast, given how much time we put into it. Because the that's the interesting thing is that those elite firms... It works out to elite partners are billing at four hundred twenty-three dollars per hour, three hundred fifty-four at mainstream firms. It's eleven percent higher. The staff are billed out at two hundred an hour at elite firms, and then one hundred and sixty-nine dollars on average for all firms. So that's interesting because the the billing rate isn't actually that much different. Right, the billing rate for partners is eleven percent higher. It's just they have more leverage. They have more staff doing the work, and the the partners aren't doing the work, and that's why the partner income's higher. But the partners are still, the problem is the partners are still working crazy hours. I mean, according like in my view, right? That I wouldn't want to work. I wouldn't want to work that much. Yeah, I think that's the problem with with most accounting firms is they're they're not really businesses. They're just really highly compensated jobs. If you're a partner at a firm, right? Because if you own a business, in my opinion, a business is something that can run without you. Like this podcast is not a business because you and I are necessary to run the podcast. But if we start a podcast production company and we build a team that can produce podcasts without us, that's a business. Yes. Right. And a firm's not, well, yeah, because ultimately you need the expertise of that partner. Yeah. Right. You can't run, you can't, you can't do it without them. Right. But in a, in a business, ideally, the partner would just take off and be like, not ever come to the office and never look at client work, and it would just get done. And because of the systems they've set up, they've managed the people, they hire the people. You know, the four-hour work week kind of dream, right? That's a real business. If you only have to work on your business four hours a week and it generates revenue for you, four that's Four-hour accountant. Go write that book, Blake. Yeah. Four-hour accountant. I, I mean, it's doable. You can do it with bookkeeping. It's totally possible. I, I did that. By the time... You know, it, it never turned out humongous profits, not like this, but uh, by the time I got done building my bookkeeping business, I didn't do anything. I didn't talk to clients. Uh, I didn't sell clients. I didn't create the proposals. Uh, I didn't do any bookkeeping. Like, it just ran. All I did was marketing. And that's a business. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Giraffe. Are you still using Excel to create budgets, clash flow forecasts, revenue models, or hiring plans for your fast-growing or mid-to-large-sized clients? Drive is an all-in-one financial planning and analysis solution that maximizes the collaborative value of forecasting, budgeting, reporting, and analytics, giving you and your clients the confidence and speed needed to drive their business forward. The best part of Drive is that it eliminates the constant rework that your team or clients must do every time data or variables change. Need to adjust projections based on hiring two more employees? Just connect your payroll app to Giraffe and your numbers are updated. Need to account for marketing and spend changes? The impact of new leads or upcoming deals? Just connect Giraffe to your CRM. And of course, Giraffe connects to all the cloud accounting systems you love, including QuickBooks, Xero, NetSuite, and Intech. Giraffe knows that firms that offer advisory services that include budgeting, forecasting, and FP&A are 34% more profitable. That is why Giraffe has an accounting firm partner program that guides you step-by-step through the process of adding FP&A to your firm. If you're ready to become an accounting firm partner with Giraffe, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Giraffe. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash J-I-R-A-V. 
Plan smarter, faster, and together with Giraffe. I guess this is kind of little, uh, a little bit of news tax related, I guess. So into it right now, they sponsor the NFL. And so they extended that agreement all the way till the year 2026 now. And they're bringing on MailChimp. So it's going to be TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, MailChimp, all those brands advertising, huge deep relationship with the NFL, um, both AFC and NFC divisional games um, for the rest of the season, for the, till 2026. So obviously they're, they're reaching the market they want right, and going forward, which kind of makes sense. It's interesting because like the big firms traditionally have sponsored golf tournaments, right? Mm-hmm. Is the demographic changing of people that own businesses? Or maybe they're not watching the golf tournaments on TV and they're only watching NFL football. I don't know, but Intuit's uh, spending some more money. Um, feel so free gonna, Intuit if you'd are, like to sponsor they, the Cloud Accounting Podcast. Are they going to adver- yes. Are they going to do this Intuit advertisement again, where they had that giant robot that was helping business owners? Remember that whole? Yeah, so I think that's that pendulum that swings around where, and this happens a lot at, at, at Intuit. So Intuit's, you're a marketer. You work for some other company, right, Blake? Intuit comes and taps you on the shoulder. Like, hey, do you want to be the CMO of Intuit? And you're like, what's Intuit? So then you get hired by Intuit. You, you figure it out. You get hired. And your first thing is like, nobody knows who Intuit is. We're going to advertise Intuit. Instead of the real brands, which is QuickBooks, TurboTax, yeah, right, the the real brands, and so that pendulum shifts. And you're right that with that robot was Intuit's attempt to market Intuit. Mm-hmm. But I, I think over and over again, it's very clear that the TurboTax, QuickBooks, the real brands are the brands, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't. Um, I mean, they're gonna obviously the Intuit logos there, but everything's presented as the brands. I'm gonna go into app news. Yeah, let's jump in. Okay. So Ignition, formerly Practice Ignition, made a change that I was very pleased to see. Now you can change the price or the scope of an active service. Why is this a big deal? Because previously you had to close out the engagement letter or the the active services or whatever you call it. Uh, that was in progress for a client. And then you had to send them a new engagement letter. You had to send them a new proposal and they had to accept it for any changes. Now you can simply edit the service that is in progress and then choose if you want to notify your client, which is great because it gives you a lot of flexibility. So in my contract with you, I'm going to do your bookkeeping for $150 a month. But if any of the underpinning software like QuickBooks changes prices, I'm going to raise your price by that difference. And before I had to start over with a whole engagement and now I can just change the price and move on. So much better, right? They don't have to sign it again. They don't have to agree to it again. Just get them to agree to it once at the beginning and have all those increases built into your terms and then you can just go do it. You've already that's got one big beef a lot of accountants have with QuickBooks raising the prices. Mm-hmm. Like, like I need a year notice to implement this for my clients. <laughs> yeah. or, right, or, I only re-engage with them on an annual basis, right? So now you can truly do continuous engagements or just month to month and change things as you need to. I am really happy with this uh, because we use it for, um, um, I use it for Earmark, for our 
Earmark for Teams subscription that we offer now where you can sign up for your entire firm to get access to the Earmark CPE app to earn CPE. So now, instead of having to go and do some sort of new engagement letter if something changes, I can just update the services, update the price. I've already gotten that approval via email in our support ticketing system. Boom, done. Much better. So did you see that uh, Thomson Reuters is going to acquire SurePrep? I for did five hundred million dollars in cash, just straight up paying half a billion dollars in cash. Wow! Yeah, yeah, that's so, amazing. So SurePrep products are used by twenty three thousand tax professionals. So you have ten forty scan, SP binder. I think the big one is Tax Caddy is a big one. Oh, that's them. Okay. So they have all yeah. of those. What, and one of, one of the comments I saw was that uh, you know like. I think generally people are worried that now that Thomson Reuters owns SurePrep that the prices are going to go up and that the new feature development is going to basically stop. That's the concern. So they talked about how they've been partnering since April of 2022. Yeah. And that Thomson Reuters will continue its open ecosystem strategy after the uh, acquisition. But that's also something but that I'm has not- been an issue in the past, right? With these tax software companies because they're not open and they don't believe in it. Most of them. Yeah, and so the CEO SurePrep, uh, Dave Wiley, he says, Thomson Reuters has made it clear that they are committed to maintaining SurePrep's ability to interoperate with multiple vendors across an open tax software ecosystem. Hmm. So we, we'll see, but that's a significant amount of money. But going back to that other survey, yeah, where did Thomson Reuters fall in for their tax stuff? Oh, uh, God, I have to get back to that story. I don't know what I did with it. Was that bigger firms? Was that, yeah. Sorry, now that you've closed it off. I know. Because uh, well, that might have an indication if they're going to raise the price, maybe. It's like, who currently uses all that? That's all. Here. Yeah, so Thomson Reuters is the number one product among all firms that with 24% market share, according to CPA Trendlines Research. So, uh, again, they do really, really well with the medium-sized firms, 11 to 50, with uh, and, and 51 to 100. That's their kind of sweet spot. Uh, small firms too, like I got a quarter of the one to 10 person firms. So that's going to be good news for those folks, right? If you're in that ecosystem, now you've got sure prep as part of it, it's going to work better. And that's what always happens, right? Hopefully. Uh, here's some more app news, David. Did you know that there was an anti-woke bank? It's no longer in existence. You can't sign up for it. I'm sorry, David. I know you were really looking for an anti-woke, anti-woke bank. Yeah. No, an- yeah. How, how does this even, I'm trying to imagine like how this even works. Like, so like, the name is great. It was called Glorify, G-L-O-R-I, and then capital F-I, Glorify. Yeah, it was a Texas startup, and it was like, uh, like if you're familiar with Relay Bank, this would be similar to that, uh, but anti-woke. Like for small businesses? Or yeah, was it? Yeah, and it was, okay. a, it was a conservative banking alternative. Um, they have now laid off their employees. They're closing up shop. Uh, that was the news in the Wall Street Journal. But yeah, that was the goal. They they made their debut in September. The company said customers could open checking and savings accounts and apply for credit cards. The app was aimed at people who saw Wall Street as too liberal and wanted a bank that shared their values. Like what, I don't know how like the bank can would share your values. Like what would they do that would actually share your values when it just comes to like checking and savings accounts? I mean, it's not like they're investing your money and stuff, right? I've never understood 
this like business model of like like the big whole uh, the the cake maker who won't make a gay wedding cake. Mm-hmm. I've never understood this. Like I understand the personal and religious beliefs part of it, but as a business of running your business, why would you not want to have the biggest total adjustable market as possible? Like yeah, why would I, you? Yeah, it's, like it's, because it's hard <laughs> enough to run a business successfully to begin with, right? But if you start cutting out customers. It makes it harder. Yeah, it's generally best not to alienate segments of you know potential customers. Yeah, yeah, that's and that's why I think you know most smart business owners try actually not to be too political, and they don't want to have a political argument, and uh, and that puts them at odds with folks like you know David Barrett at Expensify and My Pillow Man, who's Mike Lindell, right, the My Pillow guy, and the Hobby Lobby family who love to make political statements in their business, but, but most businesses don't. I think that's actually why most accountants try to stay political too, right? Because that's why we're serving them. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Relay. The other day, Chris Maskey of Prefix Accounting tweeted the following, quote, not so hot take. If your business banking cannot maintain a stable QBO connection, you do not, in fact, have a business account. That's a cheap knockoff of a real bank account, end quote. And I could not agree more. What's the point of a business banking account if it doesn't integrate with your accounting tech stack? Relay is a no-fee online business banking and money management platform built for you and your clients. Relay integrates into your tech stack with direct integrations to QuickBooks Online, Zero and Gusto, and improves your workflows by allowing members of your team to have their own set of secure login credentials to clients' banking data. No more bugging your client for two-factor authentication codes. And did I mention the ultra-reliable bank feeds? And your clients get powerful online banking features like 20 individual checking accounts and 50 physical or virtual MasterCard debit cards, which can be assigned to their team members. To stop fighting with, as Chris tweeted, a cheap knockoff of a real bank, and instead get a business bank account that cares about you and your small business clients, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash relay. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash R-E-L-A-Y. So this is kind of app news-ish because two apps were mentioned in it, but uh, I don't necessarily think it's truly app news. But essentially, the headline's bad. It says, Texas scammer posing as an oil baron says his scheme is more wild than Anna Delvey Sorkin's or Frank Abigail Jr. So we all know Frank Abigail, right? He's the Catch Me If You Can, the movie. Yeah, that guy. The, the check cutting Tom Hanks back. played him. Tom Hanks played no, him. Tom Hanks tried to catch him. No. Leonardo. Leonardo DiCaprio. DiCaprio. And then Inventing Anna, which is a big Netflix special about six months ago. About that fake socialite, right? Fake socialite. And they pulled off these massive scams. So you see this headline. I'm like, oh, man, what's this about? And the real reason it came through here is because he exploited QuickBooks and Veeam to accomplish his goals here. How much money did he steal? Like a million and a half bucks. I'm like, this is like nothing. Like, Wait, like, this guy's uh, bragging that he was so much better than the other two. And he's has the, I think he's trying to get a book deal or something. He's going to go to jail for, for X number of years, but oh. he's bragging about how great it was. But essentially what he did is he would use QuickBooks and Veeam to send the money. So okay. basically you get that email that says the money's on the way. Mm-hmm. Then he would cancel the payments before the money actually got there. In the meantime, he like did that to rent an airplane, 
to stay at a hotel that was $30,000 a night or rent a house. So by the time they figured it out, he's gone. He's vanished, mm. essentially. That, that's basically a scam. And I was just like, this doesn't So it's just digital. You know, makes any the sense. digital version of writing bad checks. Essentially, that's... yes. Right, exactly. Wait, that's all why, this was. Why is he in the news? He's bragging about how, how, how amazing he is. Oh. Yeah, he's, he must be going for the book deal because that can be lucrative, right? If you get out of prison and then you have the book deal, you can go around touring, getting paid $10,000 here, $20,000 there to give a speech. Yeah. I mean, in the grand scheme, look how lame it is. Uh, Nicholas Bryant, 26, defrauded at least 50 people out of around $1.5 million to fund his lavish lifestyle by pretending to be an oil tycoon. Yeah. Lame scheme. Like, you know? It's just lame. It, look, then you look at what FTX just yeah, did. If, and like, it, like, this is nothing. This if, is you're lame. Not, if you're not creating... Uh, coins so people can do yield farming, then are you really a criminal? Are you really a scammer? I mean, come on. You gotta but be this least, got picked up. Like, at least I had this article like eight times in my feed. It, like, it's, it got picked up everywhere. And yeah. it's uh, so disappointing. Deborah says Anna Helvey took way more than that. And thank you to everyone who joined us live. As a reminder, we do stream these episodes live. Normally, we do this on Fridays at 10 a.m. Uh, Arizona time which is now, thanks, help to, anybody. now thanks to Daylight Savings, is uh, 9 a.m. Uh, Pacific and 12 p.m. Eastern. Uh, we are doing this at an odd time on Sunday after Thanksgiving. So thanks to everybody who joined us. It's great to see you. Did you see uh, our favorite metaverse accounting firm? Prager, Prager Metis is Prager being Metis? sued? Why don't they rename themselves being to sued. Prager? They should call themselves Prager Metaverse. It's so close <laughs> instead of Prager Metis. They're getting sued. I saw this. They're getting sued by an investor who claims that he lost almost $20,000 because of the FTX fiasco. Because Pregramitis yeah. is the... So, and they... They're, well, they're, they the give firm. him a clean bill of health in March. So they sup- supposedly... I, I haven't seen, the, seen it because it's not like a public audit, but they audited the international, the Bahamas FTX for fiscal year 2021, whatever that was. I assume it was a calendar year. And they issued that in March. And now part of this, they're being accused of racketeering. Oh, because because they encouraged him. Well, they had... So they've taken this down off the company's website now, but they had a picture of Programmatis employees and FTX representatives hanging out at a baseball game, and it was tagged, proud to promote FTX U.S., I wonder if that's going to be enough to get the uh, judge to see it that way. So, and so then I, they're trying to tie it, and some of it is a lot of it because of that comment from yeah. the uh, the the John J. Ray third, who's the uh, the guy who did Enron cleanup. Uh, he's the, now doing this cleanup. Yeah. And his quote, you said it last week about in his 40-year career, he's never seen such a complete failure of corporate controls and such a complete well, absence of trustworthy financial information. There weren't controls. There weren't accountants. There wasn't. A, yeah. I'm pretty sure that we're going to find out there were no accountants employed at FTX, period. Because <laughs> if, if any accountant had made that balance sheet, it would have balanced. And I also want to go back to my comment last week that that was a balance sheet from a crazy person because he went to Stanford. That doesn't mean he knows how to do accounting. You know, That's he, true. He just, he just, what but, he did is he but pulled he, but up. He probably Googled what is a balance sheet. Like, yeah. Right? If, like, I honestly, I think if he'd Googled, it would have looked right because it – he had just a listing. He didn't even have it, you know, left and right or top and bottom formatting. It didn't even make any sense. Like it was just a listing of ticker symbols and then <laughs> fair market values. You know, it was it was 
it's not a balance sheet. It's 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 a quote unquote balance sheet. It's what he called a balance sheet, but it's not a balance sheet. It doesn't yes. balance. Not a balance sheet. Yeah, not a balance sheet. And yeah. But, I mean they didn't even the, the the crazy part was about that whole thing that's still to me that's amazing is that all the customer funds, apparently they didn't even segregate the customer funds. It was just all in like one account. <laughs> I mean, there was no there was no tracking of this stuff, and so you can see actually, like I think in the movie version of this, what's going to happen is, you know, Jonah Hill is going to play <laughs> SBF, Sam Bankman Freed, and or somebody the younger version of Jonah Hill, right? Uh, the next Jonah Hill, and he's going to come across actually as kind of sympathetic the way he did before all this happened because I think I think there's actually a good chance that. This all spiraled out of control because he didn't know what he was doing with the accounting and lost tabs on everything and couldn't really track it. They didn't have a way to track this stuff. And they just started loaning money out and hoping that it would all work out, right? That's how a lot of frauds start, not due to somebody thinking they're going to go down this path of crime. It's that it gets out of control. And you could totally see a guy like that who means well letting things get out of control, right? They all say that. We take money to give money. Yeah. They all say that. It becomes criminal at some point, but it doesn't start that way. I think that's very possible. Well, you know who's going to get to the answer for us? Who's that? Our, our favorite letter writer, uh, Senator Warren. She, uh, Her and Dick Durbin, they wrote a letter. Oh, boy. <laughs> and, and they talked about how the crypto industry is built to favor scammers. And they sent this letter to the current and former CEOs of the crypto exchange, FTX. <laughs> Great. So they, Wonderful. They, they, they're demanding answers way in this be, letter. Way again. To, way to be really on the ball with that, or, you know, ahead of the news. But because of this, I was like, oh, because remember, you, you heard that they, FTX, Sam and his family, they've donated lots of money to the Democrats. I was like, I'll just Google this. Like Elizabeth Warren, FTX, didn't really find anything. There's a little bit of like a Fox Newsy kind of story that says that. Sam's dad wrote or helped her uh, write proposed tax legislation. Mm -hmm. But I kind of even dug into that a little bit more. What what it is. Remember how when we read her other bill, all the signers of the bill, and it was like dog walkers of America and it was always other people. Sam's dad was one of like 56 or 65 professors that like signed her tax reform bill. Like Mm -hmm. maybe read it and said, okay, it sounds good type of thing. So she's not really involved with the FTX people. So if you ever see that come across in the news, it's probably fake news. Well, can tell. The stories that I have to dig into that I've been saving in my feed reader, but I haven't really read yet, and I I want to read more is uh is is about the lobbying that FTX was doing, and apparently you know Sam Bankman-Fried was the the supposedly the person in Washington or the person in crypto who wanted regulation and was you know, fighting for reasonable regulation, but then they were actually trying to. Um, not they were actually trying to stop the SEC from having jurisdiction over crypto. They want this weaker group. I think it's like these are like there's a bunch of you know acronyms right in uh, Washington. What's the one that they were trying to get? It was the like it's people do agriculture like commodities and stuff like that, right? Like this tiny, much smaller organization uh, that would they were trying to get to regulate crypto, and it it would have been a win because they would have had a weak regulator, right? That's what they were aiming for. So it's not as it, that part is not as um, selfless as, as it, it seemed. Okay, enough with that. Let's talk about Ramp, the corporate card people. Have you used Ramp, David? Have you tried it? I haven't no. tried it. No. I, I've used uh, six or seven of the other. I, I, I don't any more corporate cardy things. I mean, that's the problem. <laughs> is you work. get a few and then you're like, ah, I don't know if I need. 
So uh, Ramp is another corporate card solution. Uh, credit cards, corporate cards, expense management, bill payment. And I hear good things about them. Uh, and I may be hearing more good things about them because they have recently released a accountants and bookkeepers advisor console. So now you can manage all, that. all your clients uh, in one place. They call it the Ramps Advisor Console. And they've got a whole partner program page that you can look at. Uh, you can see what rewards you get at different tiers. You get referral bonuses for each client. Uh, the tiers stack based on the number of clients, going all the way from one up to 50 plus. You know, the same stuff you're used to if you do QuickBooks or Zero, and you get these, um, these perks. Uh, is that it for App News? I mean, I got just stacks of App News. I could go on. I don't have any more App News. I just was going to mention an article I want to read and be prepared next week. Instead of kind of give a teaser, maybe. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. All right. So the article title is Building a Stronger Pipeline. It's in the CPA journal. Building a Stronger Pipeline. Yep. Okay. And it goes, the, the, the gist of the article kind of talks about the 150-hour rule, the same same stuff you've been hammering, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think is it, it goes, this article is really long. You need to like relook at it and dig in more. But I think this author of this article is proposing, that's why I need to reread it, that instead of people in their CPA, they actually, you should create two kind of junior certifications instead. So more certifications, more hoops, depending on like, maybe you have a, one you can earn after four hours, four years of working. Like, so I need to reread this, but I, I my gut says like more certifications. No, that's like basically market like an confusion. associates in public accounting no. or a paraprofessional, no. kind of stealing from the legal paralegals and that type of no, no, designations. From, from a marketing standpoint, that's a terrible idea. I'm sorry. It's just not good. It's People don't have room in their brains for more than a few things. <laughs> and like if you, <laughs> if you try to give them more acronyms to fit into the accounting profession, you're going to have trouble. I mean, there's a reason that everybody calls accountants CPAs, even if they're not CPAs, right? It's because that's what people have been conditioned to think of. CPA yeah. is an accountant who does taxes, even though that's not true, right? But that's what not necessarily true, but that's what they've come to. So think. to be fair, I want to read this article and kind of understand the argument more, mm-hmm. of because it's it gets very like Exhibit A, Exhibit yeah. B, right, um, and ties it back to the CPA evolution exam model. So it's it's a little deep, but I think that's the gist of it. Is like more more certifications will help us fill the bottom of the funnel. But I don't know. My brain's like no, like more certifications means even less people. So I'll have to, I'll, to be fair, I want to look at it and bring that next week. So I'll tag it for episode 308. Cool. Well, I got one more just to take us out. Uh, I'm going to cram this in here. So EY did a study, the Future of Workplace Index survey by EY surveys companies on their employment practices. And in particular, they've been focusing a lot on remote work over the last few years. And they found that uh, of the company surveyed, 40%, 40% have either started using a four-day work week or are in the process of implementing one. That's crazy. 40% of companies are considering, are, are, 40% of companies, not just considering, they're starting using a four-day work week or in the process of implementing one. 69% of company leadership has implemented or is in the process of implementing hybrid work technologies. So... Tying this back to accounting firm practice management, how do you compete in 
an environment where there is strong demand for white-collar talent everywhere in all professions, how do you compete to attract accountants into the profession and then into your firm when all these other companies are now offering four-day work weeks? <laughs> right? People don't... People... Compensation is not the primary driver anymore for people in a yeah. tight labor market. You can make decent money and you can have good hours and you can have a four-day work week at, at companies that will allow you to work a hybrid or a remote environment. I mean, it's just not even close. The whole, the whole partner, accounting firm, partner, path, model, you got to work all these hours, it's got to change. Or people aren't going to become accounting firm partners. They're not going to want to do it. Like nobody, I mean, it's not nobody, but very few people want to work more than 60 hours a week. More, very few people want to work more than 40 hours a week anymore. So, yeah. And yeah, it's, it's either Monday through Thursday, you take those three day weekends. But in theory, an accounting firm, there's not really like a, every Friday. I mean, yes, maybe payroll if your firm offers payroll services. But in theory, you're doing that on Wednesday. So the money's there on the Friday already. So, you probably could do this at a firm. I mean, you could but do it. But then what does it mean? Because the number of hours, you're going to take 60 hours into four days, and now you have to work four 12-hour days instead of four tens. But this is why accounting firms can't wrap their brains. Traditional CPA firms, I should say, can't wrap their brains around this because that's what they think you have to do, that you have to cram the same number of hours into four days instead of five days. <laughs> but the whole number of hours you work is all an illusion anyway. And with technology, you can be five times more productive. So we got to stop thinking in terms of hours. That's what's holding the profession back. That this idea that working more means you make more because you're producing more. They're not linked. You can work smarter. You don't have to work harder. That's the, yeah. that's the lesson. You can work way smarter and you don't have to work harder. And uh, I just keep coming back to that stat we talked about with Joe Woodard. You know, 50% of firms don't have workflow software. 50%. How can you work productively when you don't have workflow software? How how can you how can you run a business when you don't have software to manage the returns you're doing or the bookkeeping work you're doing or whatever it is you're doing? It's just it's it's. But it goes back to what you say all the time. If I'm making a half million dollars a year, why change? Well, yeah, that's and that's the thing is is and this is this is the thing that kind of where I get on my uh, soapbox, right? So if you'll permit me, David, I'll get on my soapbox for a second. I'll say, here we have these partners who are, you know, 55 or older, making half a million dollars a year or more, and they're destroying the profession, not individually, but as a group, because they're not training replacements. They're not replacing themselves, and uh, they're sucking all the money they can get while they can get it, and it's not their problem when they retire the fact that the accounting profession is not going to have CPAs to replace them. They, they don't care, right? Like it's, and they're just enabled by the associations that uh, suck up to them and don't challenge them to change what they're doing. Oh, and the universities that just pump out graduates and try to brainwash them into going to work for these large firms that are going to suck them up and spit them out, turn them and burn them right? It's destroying yeah. the accounting profession. It's like the, we actually have a, a listener here live. Eric 
says, I'm at pick four. I want out. LOL. <laughs> I'm sorry, Eric. Uh, you know, there's lots and lots of opportunities for you at many, many other places. A lot of other firms that would probably love to have you. Listeners of this show that would love to have you that don't believe uh, that you need to work 60 yeah. to 80 yeah, hours a Send out a, a tweet. We'll retweet it. Tag yeah. us. If you tag, if you tweet at cloud ACCT pod and say, I want out of the big four, help me. We'll retweet it. And our listeners own firms. And, but you have to put in the I hate part though. Yeah. <laughs> now, now here's the thing though. You might not make as much money working at one of these firms, but you will have a life. You will have time for life and family. And, uh, you won't be like some of those folks who were forced to come in on Friday after Thanksgiving, uh, which of which there were many, I'm sure. Ah, D Hall Should says, "Wrap it up." D Hall says, "Hashtag oh. Boomer Partners." That's right. <laughs> that reminds me of Boomer CPA, um, one of my favorite Twitter parody accounts. Do you know that one, David? I'm going to no, find but, out. The but actual... there's also the Boomer Group, right? There's like a real legit. Well, that, that's so unfortunate that. You know, yeah, as I was going to say, it's very unfortunate. Because they're, they're a great group of people. It just happens that the founder's name is Boomer. Last name is Boomer, and they're Boomer Consulting. But it's Which was fine until about two and a half years ago, and then now it's not. <laughs> yeah. It's um, somehow tipped. Go, everyone listening, go follow at Boomer CPA on Twitter. Uh, it's, it's pretty funny. Imagine, imagine if, a, uh, if the stereotypical Boomer partner had a Twitter account. I think the last the last tweet is, and all the tweets are in t- in all capitals. By the way, always, November eighteenth, getting out in front of this now. We were retained by FTX to do bookkeeping and tax returns. We did not have the staffing or a crypto expert on staff, but the fees were quite good, so we took the engagement. No further comment. <laughs> all right, I think that's it. Right, we've gone over. This was fun. Sorry, I wasn't like in top form for this, but I feel like we did. Have some hey, meaningful yeah, discussions. Let's loosen up. No coffee and just some uh, wine. And it's probably the right pace post uh, Thanksgiving. Yeah. And I hope everyone are, uh, I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. I think it was it was relaxing for me. I hope it was relaxing for you. Well, there wasn't a tax deadline, so it was good. Yeah. I, I noticed on tax Twitter, people were they were cooking their turkeys and doing their stuff and arguing about snickerdoodles and all that kind of stuff. It yeah, good. it was good. So, it was good. Eric says, when I was done my exams, they asked me whether I wanted to make partner. I want to start my own practice. Now, that's awesome, Eric. Well, you have lots of opportunity because basically a lot of these boomer partnerships, boomer firms, are just going to like... Please send all your emails to Blake. And Blake all none of them listen to the podcast, David. Boomers <laughs> don't even know what a podcast is, most of them. I'm just going to tell you that. Like, we're fine. Right. We're fine. And if you are and you're listening, you're young at heart. You don't count. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about all the people that don't listen to this show. So, <laughs> uh, you know, the people who you literally have to like tell them, explain to them what a podcast is, right? So um, Eric says, I don't know where to start after four years at KPMG. Well, you know, um, I think with, hey, you've, you've survived for four years. Maybe go to a smaller firm, Right. Go to a smaller firm uh, where you can still learn and and you could find one where you can transition into ownership, uh, maybe work out a, a succession plan. There's a lot of firms that need it. I mean, it's right now it's either you merge in to a bigger firm or you just kind of like close the doors. There's not, not a lot of options for them. So they're all looking for succession. 
but you got to want to do that. And I know there's a lot of folks who are going off on their own and saying, you know what, I'll just go get my own clients. Probably the best thing to do, honestly, Eric, would be just get side clients, get, get work on the side. Don't give KPMG all your hours, keep some for yourself and start building your own practice and find out what you love to do and find the type of clients, actually the type of clients, I don't know if you get to work with smaller clients where you all you have to do all corporate, but try to work with smaller clients that are in an industry that you love, something you're passionate about. Um, find your people. Because once you find that as a CPA, if you find the people you want to serve, all the accountants I talk to who have done that are so successful. Maybe it's startups, maybe it's gyms, maybe it's uh, creatives, whatever it is. You know, serve those people. They will refer you to all your friend, all their friends. You will have unlimited opportunity. So, yeah. And there's lots of opportunities in the accounting profession that are not big four. And just keep that in mind because mm-hmm. I think a lot of people they just decide they're done and they're just done and then they're done with accounting for the rest of their lives. Yeah, and that's a so shame. Just, just don't, don't do that. Don't, yeah. do, don't go down that path. Just don't leave. We need you. Available. We need you in the profession. Yes, David. If people want to find you online, where can they track you down? Well, I'm on all the socials at David Leary. But by the time you listen to this, you might be able to just walk up and find me at QuickBurst Connect. We're going to be at QuickBurst Connect. Uh, December 7th, 8th, 9th. Is that correct? Yeah. And we're having and a party. December 6th, 7th, 8th. The Cloud Accounting like Podcast party is on December 7th at 7 p.m. at the Chandelier Lounge. Uh, be sure to RSVP via the link in the show notes to save your spot. Yeah. Do we have and spots we'll see left? You there. I hope we have spots left. There's some spots left. I haven't checked over the weekend if we got a lot of registrations. I don't okay. know. If some... But it's, it's free. So you just have to fill out the form and show up. And there will be food. In addition to drinks. Yes, we'll, we'll feed you. We'll give you some drinks. We'll take some photos together. Yeah. It'll uh, it'll be great. Good and we're doing times. that with uh, OnPay, who's, you know, obviously the studio sponsor. So OnPay, Guideline, which is your retirement 401k stuff, and Relay. And so Relay. you kind of have that, that perfect stack, right? You got payroll. You got retirement plans for your employees. You can get Relay to bank account for your payroll. You can issue expense, card, expense cards through Relay. You got the whole stack. All at one party. Come learn more. It'll be fun. I would love to meet you in person. You can find me online at I'm at Blake T. Oliver, and you can email our show Cloud Accounting Podcast at earmarkcpe.com. We love listening. We love hearing from our listeners. We, we love listening to our hearers is what I almost said. And you know what, David? I should just stop talking because I'm clearly unable Time to, to roll it up. put sentences together. I could eat some dinner. Yeah. All right, go eat some more uh, turkey, man. All right, we'll see you here again on uh, Friday. Bye, everyone. Bye. Time for the classifieds. Are you still paying 1% for ACH to receive money from your customers? With Uclect, you can pay as little as 30 cents per transaction. Uclect has two-way sync to both Zero and QuickBooks Online and gives you the features that the accounting systems lack, like installment plans, secure automatic payment setup invitations, automatic receipts, and allows access to other credit card merchant providers beyond the ones that come with the accounting system, giving you more control over the service fees that you pay. For more information and a 30-day free trial, go to ucollect.biz slash C-A-P. That's ucollect.biz slash C-A-P. Check out Hector Garcia's new app called Right Tool for QuickBooks Online. Instantly increase your productivity with keyboard shortcuts and more. It will save you seconds. The app is free at the moment in public beta. Check them out at righttool.app. That is righttool.app, R-I-G-H-T-T-O-O-L dot app. 
I don't care where you live in the United States. If you're a CPA, you have to take ethics continuing education. And I don't care who you are and where you live. You hate taking ethics continuing education. That's why me, Greg Kite, and my buddy, Adam Browd, we created a podcast called Drunk Ethics, where we unfold and uh, expose all of the inner secrets of not just ethics, but how to become more ethical and to promote ethical behavior at your workplace. And we do that while we are getting progressively more faced during the course of each episode. In each episode, we take seven shots every seven minutes. And so at the beginning, we are scholarly. And by the end, we are drunk yet still scholarly. If you're interested in this podcast, which I know you are, anyone can listen to the podcast for free. It's out there. You can find it. But if you want CPE credit for it, NASBA certified CPE credit, it is a premium course on Earmark. So if you're already a subscriber to Earmark, it's going to be more than that. But listen, it's worth it because of two reasons. First off, you know your company. You know your firm's going to pay for it and not you. And second of all, it's worth it, damn it. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.